0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast disclaimer booking line. To hear a full list of menu options press 0, or to get straight to booking your podcast disclaimer, press 1. Start by pressing 1, and saying the name, website address, or reading out the full RSS feed of your podcast, for other...
1: The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Start by pressing 1, and saying the name, where...
1: The... Peggy, Mount, Calamity Hour.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't catch...
1: (sighs) Peggy, Mount, Pod.
0: Peggy, Mount, Pod. Is that correct? Yes. That's great. Firstly, will there be the consumption of alcoholic beverages in the podcast? Press 1 for yes, or 2 for... That's super. Will there be bad language in the podcast? Press 1 for yes, or... That's fantastic. Will the presenter or presenters of your podcast be likely to get small but embarrassingly important factual details wrong on mic? Press 1. W- That's all booked. Please call back three minutes before the scheduled start time of your podcast quoting reference. P-I-G-B-Y. For your full disclaimer, thank you for booking with... <sighs> Tonight, all
1: the at They've got Paul... Who's, uh, he's, he's wearing his best hoodie For the show, uh-huh. that's fine we yep. got Craig, yep. the team captain uh, And we got Penny Who, God bless her Penny seems to have been given a pink sack to wear
2: She, she has, a pink sack Craig, Craig's a gothic rock
1: It's a 1982 musical comedy about Uh impoverished gay and cross-dressing cabaret artists in pre-war France. Debbie, this film was rated 15 by the BBFC when it came out six years earlier. The kids haven't watched it.
2: I love it when shows have a crossover, and I love this. And we see the headphones that were in an episode of My Husband and I.
3: (laughs) Exit! Stage left!
2: Are you all right? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here to sift through the slurry and celebrate the sublime from the telly box in the corner of the room.
1: Yes, hello to you and thanks for swinging by for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to peggymanpod.com, info for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. There, you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we haven't covered such and such yet. And before we make the mistake of buying T-shirts in the market when the ones in HMV contain a much better class of illicit substance, Doctor Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking?
2: I'm on the dark ale. Oh, sweet got? So brace yourself. Uh, this is by Cheddar Ales, right? And it's called Totty Pot. This sounds delightful. Totty Pot. Dotty Pot. And yourself?
1: <laughs> I have got a bottle of... Mustang Sally by Hattie Browns in uh, Swanage Dorset. <gasps> oh! It's a it's a light ale, I believe This eh.
2: Like it? All right. We're fully loaded. Or at least we will be soon. Off we go and let us be taken full circle to a time of an afternoon that wasn't populated by the residents of Ramsey Street. The vacuous 5.35pm slot was occupied by a number of shows in the early to mid-80s, and they were usually quiz shows. But unlike the next viewing, none of them had the foresight to include some popular home computer games into the format. (laughs) First
1: Class was a multimedia game show presented by Debbie Greenwood, which ran on BBC One from 1986 to 88 over four series and 66 episodes. The gameplay pitches two teams of three pupils from opposing secondary schools and cycles between news and current affairs quiz questions, musical rounds of naming songs and artists, and team members taking turns playing popular video games of the time. We've watched an episode from the final series, which aired in June 1988, where Beaumont Lee School in Leicester go head-to-head with Alderman White from Nottingham. Which of the teenage boys has the strongest and most practised wrist action? We're going to find out.
2: Yeah, you see, you're talking about season four. We're on Saturdays with season four with this.
1: This is it. My memory of the show is as a late afternoon weekday thing. Yep. But I do know that by this point in 1988, Neighbours was in the half five slot. Uh Uh-huh. And this particular one, according to the BBC Genome website, went out on a Saturday 20 past five. That's yeah. almost prime time Saturday night. That make no it mistake. It really is. The whole family was watching this show.
2: So it kind of it was settled in its tea time weekday slot, but due to neighbours taking over the universe, mm-hmm. it got an automatic promotion to Saturday tea time prime time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so play.
2: well done, Greenwood. I do believe this was made as a reaction to ITV's blockbusters. Yeah, that's fair enough. Master Team was another little beauty. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? With Angela Rippon was the The quiz master with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I do do need to point out, it's it's at the very top of my notes, underlined in red, that our host here, Debbie Greenwood, is married to Paul Coyer. Hashtag Paul on pop. That's all I'm
2: saying. That's all you need to say.
1: Can you imagine breakfast time in their house with them constantly just asking each other quiz questions? Just constant.
2: Well... She's asking him questions all of the time, and he's just giving a review on everything that she's made him for breakfast that morning. (laughs) I can see that. Debbie Greenwood, a sort of, because Debbie Greenwood's a a bizarre sort of amalgamation. She's a cross over. She's she's quite, she's very trendy, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, she's very BBC. She's kind of like, do you remember Debbie Gibson, the pop star? Yes. She's like Debbie Gibson with A-levels.
1: I don't think that's a bad thing at all. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but no, yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right Very not safe pair of
1: hands I think she does really well on this so.
2: Yeah, 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 she absolutely does She's very, um, she's welcoming What's more
1: curious to know The way that their studio's set up for this um, The presenter is facing both teams But she has her back to the audience Like on off on either side of her They've split mm-hmm. the audience into like two banks On the left and the right That yeah. way, the crowd's attention is placed on the contestants From the schools they're at and I think that's yeah. a superb way of saying that these kids there, they're the stars of the show, not the person reading the questions. Sure. Why, why sure. doesn't this happen in more shows? <laughs> Mind, <laughs> I tell you what, unlike our discussion, there is absolutely mm. no fucking about with this program. We're None. not 90 seconds in and they're mm-hmm. already playing 720.
2: Yep, absolutely. The the teams are introduced, no preamble into the format of the game. We're just straight in.
1: Yeah, we got um from Beaumont, Lees, and Leicester we got Nicola, Jason, and Gary. Jason has this delicious Fred Perry polo shirt on. It's He
2: really does. He yes. really does.
1: <laughs> um, and Alderman White on the other side from Nottingham. They've got Paul, who's uh, he's, he's wearing his best hoodie <laughs> for the show. Uh-huh. That's fine. We've yep. got Craig, yep. the team captain. Uh, and we've got Penny, who, God bless her, Penny seems to have been given a pink sack to wear.
2: She, she has. A pink sack. Craig, Craig's a gothic rock. He is the gothic with his, rock. With, with his silver-tipped collar and neck-pendant accompaniment. Yep. Yeah. They, they're the alternative team. A pink sack, the gothic rock. Yeah, I fucking
1: love that Craig the goth, he's in, he's insisted on wearing a black shirt, yep. metal collar tips, and yep. a skull-buckle boot tie to go on television. It makes him look about three years older than everybody else on set, including Debbie That's- Greenwood. <laughs> It does. He's doing his bit for the goth
2: He is. Paul knows this is going to happen because Paul's glasses enable him to see into the future. <laughs> so this is this is fine.
1: Before we get onto the gameplay as well, mm. they've um, mm. they've got their own computer there on the program called Eugene. Now I do know that Eugene was named after the show's programmer from the first series, Eugene Crozier. Mm-hmm. Mind doesn't do a lot, does it? Absolutely nothing. Considering it's got a name, you mm-hmm. know. Ask, ask. What do you think about it? Mind, for a programme so fixated on technology that Eugene seems to be lacking somewhat. The robot doesn't even speak. It's just text
3: on the screen and Debbie Greenwood reading it out. I reckon there's a man behind the paddling
1: tapping into a BBC micro. That's some weapons-grade bullshit and no mistake.
2: I mean, what the fuck? I have to agree.
1: You know. But anyway, yes, the, um, the first round is video games. Mm -hmm. They're playing uh, 720, the classic 8-bit skateboarding game from Atari
2: Hang on a second, can we be self-indulgent for a moment? (laughs) When are we not? The moment I heard this, it took me back 30 years
1: Mm Mm-hmm Yeah, they're on, a, they're on a downhill level where the players got like zigzag down these series of ramps without falling mm-hmm. off into the surrounding abyss. Um, I've done a little bit of digging. They're playing the arcade version of this.
2: Yeah, I they are.
1: I don't know how, but that's, you know, that absolutely fine with that. Clearly, they've got the money to get that in on set, have a couple of them, bang, done. Um, Gary goes first. He's a bit slow in places, but he makes it through to the end. Then it's Paul from Alderman White with his glasses he can see through the pixels. He's like Neo in the Matrix. They both do it in 23 seconds, even though I swear to God I'm watching Paul's go. And it seems to take about an hour and a half. Yes. (laughs) We're basically watching other people play computer games here. Yeah. Which means in 1986, the BBC invented 15% of YouTube.
2: Next we move into uh, a, a film round, and a film you can... You can get on home video.
1: Oh, I've got that as well, in quotes. It's yeah. like screen test again, this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Ho- home video. home. Vi- it's Mary Poppins. Debbie, you can get this on wax cylinder. Yes,
2: yes. Mind you, is it just me? But the 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 screen quality looked like absolute pig shit on there.
1: Well, they're probably literally playing a VHS around the back.
2: <laughs> you know? Well, yeah.
1: So, yeah. so we get this observation round of um, the tidy in the room section of Mary Poppins. Shitloads loads of activity going on, so that's a good way to test the kids' recall capacity. And the first question, when they come out of it, because Debbie, she doesn't introduce Mary Poppins, just because here's the film. The first question is, what's the film? Mind, Craig the Goth, he's straight in, Mary Poppins.
2: Yep. Mary
1: Poppins is Craig the Goth's favourite film, everybody. He said it uh, on television. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Mint. Then we get the, um... I, I like the way that the questions sort of flow on from each other. There's like a yes. nice bit of, you know continuity between them. Uh, there is. In which film did Julie Andrews play a woman dressed as a man, dressed up as a woman?
2: I question this.
1: Thudding silence from the six contestants.
2: Absolutely, because not one of them would have seen Victor Victoria. Why this would it? they?
1: It's a 1982 musical comedy about uh-huh. impoverished gay and cross-dressing cabaret artists in pre-war France. Debbie, this film was rated 15 by the BBFC when it came out six years earlier. The kids haven't watched it. They have no fucking interest in it. Absolutely. Then it's onto current affairs on video. Uh, this it, is basically is. the same as the film round, but with news footage. It's just another now, observational piece.
2: It is, but I'm on the edge of my seat because Beaumont Lees are catching up.
1: Well, you know, it's all the players here It's neck and neck all the way through. It's mint.
2: throughout this, we get um, we get several cutaways of the audience now and again.
1: <laughs> Do not we? Now, this is the audience. The audience is made up of contestants from the two schools that are playing.
2: And fuck me, if this not if this isn't a snapshot of an era, I don't know what is. It's
1: beautiful, isn't it? Yep. There's um, There's one girl in the audience. She's come with this voluminous crimson blouse. With matching voluminous hair. A, a power bouffant. And cool. ear- earrings the size of phone handsets. She looks yes. like Princess Diana has burst out of hell and ramraded Margaret Thatcher on the way. She's fucking <laughs> gloriously overdressed for a quiz God that Almighty. she's not taken part in.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, there's a guy who's wearing a beautiful lemon jumper. <laughs> you got him as well. You got him as well. <laughs> yeah. Did you like his hat?
1: Yeah, um, um, we're not going to put any identifying time codes into this uh, section here. You can watch the programme and see it yourself. But he's, he's got a haircut that I'm guessing his mum has done that he's asked for, which seems to have the front bit of Paul Weller's look mm. and the back half like H.R. Giger's Alien. <laughs> Mind he's having he's having a fucking whale of a
2: time. He's loving it. He's enjoying himself. He's uh-huh. really enjoying himself as much as I did actually when we got to the general knowledge round. Uh-huh. Um, music, because not, there's not a pick, not a one, not a person in that building or a nearby postcode for ten miles who knew what that five-star track was. Not one person. Did you know what it was? Did I fuck? Well, there we go. Not me neither. It's like <laughs> nobody's isn't... heard of that single. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. She's like sitting, got bopping away in a seat. Na- name the song. And it's, yeah, it's basically Somewhere, Somebody by Five Star. Now, as we said, none of the kids know what the fuck this is. Nah. Basically, Craig the Goth is leaning over to be sick into a bucket. He is? He's like, this isn't why I'm on. But the next question is, Debbie Sin: uh, which long-running television show has teams led by Frank Muir and Arthur Marshall Paul from Alderman White fucking straight on the buzzer before the end of the question, yelling, he call nearly my takes bluff. The
2: buzzer, nearly takes the buzzer off the desk.
1: That tells me that Paul is never allowed out of the house.
2: That's right. <laughs> Only That's a
1: right. teenage in has that level of recall about a quiz show aimed at 50-year-olds.
2: I will say at this point I got worried because Alderman White are slaughtering Beaumont Lees here. They're slaughtering yeah. them.
1: But again, bearing in mind in Craig, they've basically got a 23-year-old on their team.
2: Yes, yes. A 23-year-old gothic rock. Yeah, yes. You know?
1: We, um... We get to the word-of-mouth round next, which is essentially Mm. a game of Hangman, but with all Mm -hmm. references to capital punishment removed. (laughs) I like the style of that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Each team guesses letters from the mystery words. Uh, They lose a point every time they get one wrong until they either guess the word or run out of points. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the answer, both answers here, are geography-based. So as Debbie has already pointed out, both teams are fucked from the start.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. She mentioned that a few times, actually.
1: It's a fucking wonder they found their way to the studio. It honestly is.
2: Yes. I wasn't really that impressed with Craig's tactic. Uh, he went through all vowels first, and I thought, oh, you haven't got enough letters in the word to do this. You're wasting I, opportunities here.
1: I seen, you know, as an approach, I like that. I mean, granted, it's, you get to a point where you're like, well, it's not going to have... I've, I've gone through four vowels.
2: I've played enough Wordle to know that that's not a good tactic. No. Okay. Anyway, we, we get past that round and we're back on the computers.
1: <laughs> we are. It's um, This time it's Konami's Hypersports or, as Debbie calls it, and I quote, the Hypersport game.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Mint. Beautiful. And I tell you what, this really did take me back because I used to play this constantly uh-huh. at home. Yep. And this, this was the dread of any keyboard mm-hmm. because we see them clacking away in order to make their athlete somersault, etc. I remember doing that. And your keyboard literally would be looking at you going, what have I done to you? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, you've got like arrow key for the run-up. They're, they're running, doing that thing, they're doing that event where they basically run up towards a box on four legs and they belt over it. I don't know what sports are called. Um, it's Gary versus Paul. So you got arrow key to run up, you get onto the ramp, then it's pressing ZX or... OP, whatever keys you've got assigned to it. Like that to do flips until you land. Gary goes first, gets a very respectable score. Paul, the one who was so far said next to fuck all, apart from name and call my bluff, he fucking tanks his first goal.
2: Fucks it right up.
1: The games are the only reason Paul is sitting
2: in that seat. And the only reason he fucks it up is because when his avatar approached the springboard, the weight of his glasses tipped him over. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: oh, Paul, if you're listening, you did all right, mate. You know, you, your second your second goal was good.
2: I was going to make that point because he might have fucked that up, but he claims victory at the end. Yes. He absolutely knocks it out of the park yeah. on the last bit. Yeah, I think he's a, wi- he's a wily one. Him, he's one to be watched. Him. He's a bit of a hustler. <laughs> His first Isn't goal he? was just a, a
1: quick fuck you.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we, we get past that part, and we're on to... Well, the music videos, of course we're on to pop for the teenagers.
1: That's right. And the, um, the first one, Beaumont Lees, have to identify Whitesnake from the video for Here I Go Again. And across the room, Craig the Goth is fucking livid because this is the first time the show has even come close to approaching any of his interests. Yep. <laughs> yep. When told it's in White... Their song is Walk the Dinosaur by Wasna, Was Not Was, and now Craig the Goth has to admit that he knows a lot about mainstream pop music. Yeah. The look of yeah. reluctance on his face when he's answering, because above all, he wants his team to win. It's fucking priceless.
2: The show is cracking on, and again, I'm still feeling sorry for Beaumont Lees. I'm sorry, because Jason, Jason's busting the gut here. Mm-hmm. He's trying. He really is trying.
1: We um we get into a visual round next, The the spinning disc or whatever they've called it you got, like, a circle in the middle of the screen. It's divided up into six segments of three colours, red, white, and blue, sort of, you know, interspersed. When the players choose to remove one of the three colours, that segmented part of the picture is revealed. They have to name the celebrity behind the panels. It's Boy George and then Prince. Piece of fucking piss, considering that eight minutes ago the programme was asking them about deforestation and whaling moratoria.
2: It was around this point, mind, <clears throat> and it took me this long to realise, hmm that the girl on Beaumont Lee's team has not spoken. Yeah, I know. Has not moved, save only to smile at certain points in the game, and she's just staring ahead of her. I don't think she's real.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's Nicola, God bless her. I mean, both Nicola and Penny, one, they're in the minority in terms of just, like, percentage. Two, yeah, they're not really getting much of a look in. When we get to history, Penny's like... You two fucking stand back. I know all of these. Bang, bang, bang. She's yeah, yeah. Fucking on fire. That's great. But yeah, Nicola, mm-hmm. she's not really doing that much. Really. No. You know?
2: Just there's time. There's time. Yeah, I think there's yeah. time.
1: We're um we're back on the games and it's seven twenty again. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a harder version of the same level as before. Can they not afford a third game for this bit?
2: I'm guessing they didn't have the they couldn't afford the license for it, no. Yeah, okay. I mean it doesn't matter, the audience are going fucking wild. They love it. Photo rounds next. My quote of this round hmm. is, is is from Paul. There's a photograph that comes on screen. What is this? And it's a hand, and it's holding something that looks like berries or sort of something along those lines. Jason thinks it's um, acorns.
1: I get why he said that,
2: and you so know what? I. Yeah. I
1: I didn't get it either. So I'm, I'm no, I'm fine I, didn't, with that. I didn't.
2: Yeah. The, the best part was was um, Paul's answer, which is, and I quote: "Those things that bees are in, <laughs> Bee nuts." F- yes. What <laughs> What the fuck are you on about? All bees
1: come out of bee nuts. Did you not know that? No, I <laughs> we, we just need to plant more bee nuts. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: I mean, to be fair, because I, I couldn't guess what they were on about, my answer would have been, the fucking fingers. <laughs> the predominant image on that photograph was a fucking hand. But, yeah, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, it turns out they were coffee beans. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You know, never really... I've only ever seen them in Gareth Hunt's hand. So, yeah, we're in the... Um, this is the final round. General knowledge, quick fire. There's photos, there's clips, there's fucking all sorts.
2: Do you know what? Things were that tense through this. I took a hammer to my china cabinet here.
1: <laughs> it, the tension is certainly rising because Beaumont, Beaumont Lees, they're going to try and put their stamp on this. And fair fucking play, Debbie Greenwood is going to make this round last until the two lasses get to answer a question. And that's why it goes on for 45 minutes.
2: However, we're not disappointed because, boom, Nicola, the not-real girl... Answers the very last question of the night.
1: So anyway, Alderman Lees, they do win the fuck out of this, but only 56-42. to 42. That's right. Craig the goth uh, seems to think he's on a promise with Debbie, and then it's time to end the show. No prizes, <laughs> just a very quick word to say that Nottingham are back for the quarter final, and the show will be back next week with two more teams. Boom.
2: How many pegs are you going to pop on the back of Debbie Greenwood's chair?
1: First class is fast-paced, tightly structured. The set design is busy, but it's clean, Most importantly, it doesn't treat its contestants like morons, even the ones who are. This is everything that Beat the Teacher wants and fails to be. Lovely stuff, eight out of nine. How about yourself?
2: Well, Anti-Beeb were doing all they could do to try and rival the success of ITV's blockbusters and Nightmare, but they couldn't quite get it together. This is an attempt at amalgamating the key elements necessary. But they're presented... In what could be compared to the style of a trendy grammar school entrance exam. They just need to lighten it up a touch. However, it is compulsive viewing. The type of questions that they had, completely relevant, completely on brand with their demographic. I agree with an 8 with yourself. Excellent. But the question, Blackout...
1: We've literally just had 25 minutes of questions in this. There we can't have, be we another have. one, surely.
2: There's always time for another one. The hmm. question on the cassette inlay of every copy of Atari 720 is... How many skateboard jumps will it take you to yodel up the mountain?
1: I can do it in two. First Class is presented by Debbie Greenwood, who appeared in a 1987 edition of Blankety Blank next to... Pat Coombs who was of course a resident of Paradise Lodge
2: along with Peggy Mount
3: What is today's pathetic
2: excuse Lovely, lovely, nice and concise just like the episode itself
1: <sighs> How about yourself here limbering up your fingers to join me
2: Also too oh, no, no, no. First class is presented by Debbie Greenwoods, who appeared on a 1988 edition of Blackity Blank in the company of. Ha <laughs> ha! Danny LaRue, who trod the boards in ITV's Play of the Week, Queen of Hearts, next to.
0: An underbounder.
3: Oh, you didn't have chocolate biscuits with your cocoa.
1: magnificent
2: Fabulous. Now, before I forget, it is, of course, competition time. A reminder that after each review this series, there'll be a question about that particular episode of the show we've just watched. Answer all 20 questions, and at the end of the series, we'll tell you what to do with your answers to win the mystery prize. So, this will be your question five, and it is... Debbie Greenwood was in the fashion, as you'd expect in the 80s. In this episode, she's sporting two silver brooches, one on each jacket lapel. If each brooch was turned 90 degrees clockwise, which four letter profanity would they spell? <laughs> and that's your question. Remember, Blackout, you can't enter. I know, I know. Uh, in the meantime, you can um, pacify yourself by uh, looking at some things. Should we look at some things?
1: I'd like to buy some things. <laughs>
3: like to know about a new aftershave called Denim. It's not for men who want to drive women crazy, but it does encourage a feeling of freshness. If you've been looking for an aftershave as cool as the clothes you wear,
0: get into New Denim, the aftershave for men You don't have to try too hard. Jeffrey here
3: is going to tell you all about looking, aren't you, Jeffrey? Uh, he loves reading about Steve Austin, Space 1999, and all his other TV favourites. Uh,
1: he likes the sports features too, the competitions, pop pictures and stories. Oh, they're all great favourites, aren't they, Geoffrey? Will you say something, Geoffrey?
3: I see those girls kicked you out the flat, him. Look out for looking every week. Millions of years ago, dinosaurs tried to eat each other. Today, there are dinosaurs in your lion's made shop. Lovely vanilla and chocolate-flavoured ice cream dinosaurs. The difference is, you gobble them up.
2: Ah, the things, the lovely, lovely things. Buy the things, listener. Purchase them. There it is again, that... (sighs) I'm I'm gonna do what you said. I'll leave it. I know you
1: think he could, like, take it down to, like, fewer rings before the.
3: uh... Hello, fools. Ted Roger gave me this number. Said you were the boys responsible for rejuvenating flag and DVD sales of my animated Mr. T (laughs) TV show. But you're also the pair whose podcast content makes sure there'd never be a live action reboot of Mr. T. After you leaked stories about my online sideline. That's not Mr. T. That's Mr. X. I'm still waiting on a stain for that. Mr. X is the adult star of Only Man's. Whereas Mr. T. Is the wholesome, all-around family entertainer. Mr. T. Will solve the mystery of a missing golden egg cup. Not risk his old chap in it to the delight of private-paying online patrons. Actors gotta make a living, and that includes Mr. T. I'm gonna see. That's Mr. T. I'm, gonna see. I'm going now to look for my friend Russell, the early 1980s chat show host, as he presents his new program from the ambience of a life localized bar. That's all from me, seeking Mist hearty.
2: I think I said this the last time, I'm having nothing to do with any of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, likewise, yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> right. I think, to be fair, at least said, soon as mended their mind. Dear God. ah, Let's move on. Um, and, well, we might, and to familiar territory with another buddy cop team-up. This time, a UK-based 80s glam suburban transatlantic duo with a boss who wears a beautiful fawn anorak. On this very night, and at the same time, the Beeb was showing a repeat of Starsky and Hutch... Can Dumpsy and Mushy Peas do any better?
1: Dempsey and Makepeace was a high-octane crime drama made by London Weekend Television for the ITV Network, which ran between 1985 and 86 for 30 episodes and three series. It revolves around two armed unit detectives and the Metropolitan Police, brash New Yorker Lieutenant James Dempsey, played by Michael Brandon, and upper-class Sergeant Harriet Makepeace, Glenis Barber. Their line of work puts the pair in constant danger, of course, overseen by Ray Smith as their gruff but lovable Chief Superintendent, Spikings. We've watched the seventh episode of the first series, "Make Peace, Not War, written by Jesse Carr Martindale and directed by Tony Warmby, in which a market stall T-shirt turns out to be more than Makepeace bargained for and really brings out the heroine
2: in her. The the heroine... Yeah... I watched a few of these back in the day, Dempsey and Makepeace. Um Just a few? It wasn't appointment viewing for me. I, Ooh, I okay. didn't grab me as much, although the theme tune did.
1: Yes, that's 1980s perfection from Alan yes. Parker there.
2: Yeah, it's superb. I bought the seven-inch single. Nice. I've still got it. Uh, I had to take the single back three times because each <laughs> of the copy that I had was scratched. Right. Furious. Um, but, uh, yeah, I even bought into some merch, actually, for Dempsey okay. Makepeace. You could buy, similar to your little Corgi cars, mm-hmm. um, I think it's the 1.75 scale scale cars, uh, Dempsey Makepeace cars, but they weren't the sort of typical Corgi cars. These had an inbuilt sort of uh, motor, so they were friction-powered, so you pulled them back and let go, and away they went.
1: That's fair That's- enough. There would need to be something else within the toy to kind of sell it. Because Dempsey yeah. and Makepeace wasn't really a show about an iconic car, was it? No, it's not asking her. It's, not, no, so. no, it's not you know. you not right. even Inspector Morse. It's just like, oh yeah, here's a, a powder grey XR3i. What's that off? It's off Dempsey and Makepeace, of course.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess they were trying to preempt the market, knowing that cop shows usually would have some merch going. Yeah, would uh, Be interested to see how many of them did actually sell. But uh, mm. I was a bit annoyed that they were a pull back and go. I didn't like that, spoiltly for me. But there we are.
1: Okay. I do prefer a pull back and go than one of the ones that just like where you can go and just like rev it up and then let go. Yeah, yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah
2: there's no I... excuse for them at all. But <clears throat> And um, wrist racers as well. They were they were fucking cow shit. <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. Let's get back to Dumpsy and Makeshift. And we join the story during a warehouse robbery, don't we?
1: Yeah, open with a bit of shadow play in the dead of night. Uh-huh you got three low-level chances. They're robbing this warehouse that's got the absolute fucking worst security arrangements ever. <laughs> ever, because um, they're just
2: parked outside the front door, yeah.
1: Considering how valuable the merchandise inside it is. Um, yep. But they get more than they bargained for when the custodians Ooh. of this merchandise arrive on the scene and take umbrage. Yeah. We're straight. We haven't met Dempsey. We haven't met Peace. Straight away, there's hell on.
2: So... Our robbers are caught by the owners of the warehouse. Yeah. One of which is an almost comic book character in a dark veil.
1: Yeah, this is some um, this is Merle, our mysterious villain of the uh, of the piece. And what a coldly calculating lady she appears to be. Good lord, yes, head to toe in black and wearing a veil like Victorian mourning garb, which it's weird that that doesn't muffle the sound of her crystal-cut upper-class British accent, one-eye alter,
2: no, 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 Not at all. <laughs> yeah, not at that, all. But there we go. What fascinated me was is that her... I think you describe him as a heavy, her her, her bodyguard, if you like. Yeah. It's called Davros. Yeah. I thought I'd misheard this, and I thought it was Stavros. I thought I've it was going to be like Davos. The Our character in The Veil is annoyed and produces a hat pin. Yes. Because, because a packet of T-shirts have gone missing.
1: <laughs> Mel's solution to this when they've got one of the robbers there. I think one of them dies, just, like, <laughs> at the scene. I think so. The other one nicks off in a van, so they've got one of them there to, like, talk. And, yeah, she just fucking pulls out this eight-inch hat pin. And it is it is quite a threatening moment. It like, is. That's going to require absolutely no effort to go through his eyeball.
2: <laughs> right. Naturally, we don't see this, of course, but there we go. Cut to um, <clears throat> cut, cut to the airport. Yeah. And, um, and we've got Dempsey, Makepeace, and... Spike ins, their boss, who are lurking in a little office. Watching, yep. watching. Uh for the arrival of a gentleman who replaced Anthony Head in Jonathan Creek. Um <laughs> Maybe maybe they want an autograph. I don't know. Right. But um it seems a bit random, but actually it's uh it's completely fine because this is a setup. This is they need to um intercept this guy because he is the contact for the Black Veil. And it's all about Dempsey because, fortunately, Dempsey is American as well as this other gentleman in the camel hair coat. Dempsey's going to replace him.
1: Yep. He couldn't possibly have done that as a cockney putting on an American accent. That wouldn't have worked.
2: Yeah, a little switcheroo going on. So De- Dempsey is effectively now undercover to meet yes. the bad guys. Yeah,
1: because the um obviously Merle is going to meet her contact for... Whatever nefarious business, it's not revealed yet, is going on. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. she's meeting someone that she's never seen before, so that, that'll be fine when Dempsey walks in. Hi, I'm the person you're supposed to meet. That's what he sounds like.
2: That's right. We, the veil gets lifted soon after Dempsey meets. and yeah. um, part of me thought, part of me actually thought, behind the veil, we were going to see Makepeace's doppelganger.
1: That would have been a good, um, That would that would have been good. Yeah, I, I would have uh, liked that. Doesn't happen though. But there we go.
2: <laughs> no, it, it it really doesn't. It really yeah. doesn't. Um, story progresses and cut to Piccadilly Circus. Now we get an aerial shot of uh, of Piccadilly Circus, and uh-huh. I was conv- I was convinced. Makepeace is chatting to a guy. That's a French horn. He's playing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Did you look up his character name?
2: Uh I didn't, but hang fire because I was con- not only is he playing the theme tune to Ludwig or part <laughs> of it. <laughs> yes. Bit of bait over on Piccadilly Circus. I was convinced this was John Laurie. Fair. <laughs> I was convinced it was John Laurie, and I went on a hunt through the IMDb and all kinds. Imagine my disappointment. But listener, go back and listen to this man's voice and just the way he stood—that could be John Laurie.
1: His character, who is uh, basically a busker playing a French horn in Piccadilly Circus, is called Jimmy La Right there we go um, B- beautiful what I want to know is Piccadilly Circus so much mm. like the rest of London that we see here there's not a fucking soul about not a one this, this Piccadilly Circus even has its own idiom about how busy it is when did they film this should this episode have been called 27 days later or something
2: right I think this may exist in a similar world to the Avengers with John Steed and Emma Peel Right, because th- there was not a soul about the streets then either and I wonder if they're operating on a similar sort of vibe but, yeah, I don't know. You're right, but Piccadilly Circus, one of the busiest places, not in the country, in the world.
1: And even accounting for 1980s TV budget film stock, did the sun not shine in 1985?
2: Ever. <laughs> Ever.
1: <laughs> it is I'm... grim there. but
2: it is. It really is grim there.
1: anyway yeah she goes to see Jimmy the Horn
2: Jimmy Jimmy the Horn because she needs to find Ziggy because Ziggy was one of the guys at the warehouse
1: she's going to get the word on the street really has and she knows she knows that if she throws a fiver his way that'll start his turn wagon but how much is 1985's deep sea diver in today's pie and mash is it A £12.50 B £14 or C £15.50
2: yeah, I was gonna. Uh, something at the back of my mind said fifteen fifty.
1: I'm afraid it was AIDS, 12 pounds fifty. Bollocks! So in 1985 money to today's that's basically a plainclothes police officer going up to a criminal informant in the centre of London and buying information by giving him twelve pounds fifty. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get some quality fucking <laughs> some quality gen for that. Make Well done, love. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but she does. She does get what she wants. She finds Ziggy in the marketplace. Yep. Not only that, but I love I love it when shows have a crossover, and I love this. And we see the headphones that were in an episode of My Husband and I, um, <laughs> and Ziggy's wearing them. Yes, yes, so, he is. So yes. It is. It is beautiful. So I like that that those two shows are connected that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She. Um she goes to this marketplace to see Ziggy uh, because he's an absolute grass just like Jimmy the Horn uh, and he gives her for free as well as some information gives her a t-shirt that he stole last night yep Ziggy he's just at work selling knock-off gear not even knowing if his two accomplices are still alive that's the kind of brains we're dealing with here
2: <laughs> yeah he seems pretty blase about the whole thing doesn't he
1: and I've got to say for what it's worth he's like, he goes oh, here's a t-shirt for you it's got your name on it she opens it up, mm. and yeah, it's it's a T-shirt that says Make Peace, Not War. Mm. You're like, oh, well, that's, that's not like a, a weird kind of little tie-in. Again, I'm going back to my days in garment printing. That T-shirt design is
2: shit. It really is.
1: Did someone it's... forget what the script was, and Wardrobe had to knock that up half an hour before they started filming?
2: With a biro and some tinfoil. <laughs> Dear Lord. It's not great, is it? Yeah. Alas, poor Ziggy is then murdered by the man who is listed in the credits of the show as Oriental Hood.
1: Oh, this, this is another quite... You know, this is on before nine o'clock. Yeah. This is quite the moment for Stephen Persaud, the actor who plays Ziggy, knifed on a market stall by gangsters.
2: Yeah.
1: I can picture the director leaning in, this is your big moment, mate. Primetime, ITV, death scene, top of your CV, this. When the guy leans into you with the knife, try and look shocked and regretful. Can you do that? If not, just make it look as if you farted then realise you followed through. Good lad. Anyway, right. he got one of them
2: spot on. It, didn't he? Make peace. On the case. She's
1: doing all the legwork
2: here, isn't she? She really is. Although, to be fair, Dempsey, though, he's he's in a pretty precarious position.
1: He's never off his arse.
2: <laughs> well, he should, no, but he's, he's sat in the warehouse with the black veil. And Davros.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, fair.
2: He's in the thick of his ear. Yeah. <laughs> In a camel coat But um, yeah, okay So he's undercover still With the Black Veil and Davros And Makepeace turns up at the very warehouse Not realising, of course That Dempsey's there
1: Yeah There's a a lot of coincidence in here There's a lot of uh, overlapping plot points Mm. You would think the pair of them Being actual police detectives Might have seen a little bit of this coming But there's clearly zero comms between them That's fine
2: She turns up at the warehouse the Black Veil has no hesitancy in inflicting the power like, does she? No. I mean, they could quite easily have bluffed away out of this situation, but straight away, because they're challenged about something by Makepeace, huh, let's kill her. Right, <laughs> hang, hang, hang fire, you know job.
1: Yeah, geez, Merle is either on, like, zero or 100. There's very little in between. <laughs> yeah. When the hat yeah. pin comes out, that's it.
2: No match for Makepeace, of course. Because she gets out of the warehouse like uh, Indiana Jones.
1: Is this the bit where we learn about the t shirt? About what's so special about the t shirt?
2: I think it is actually, yes. Because yes.
1: Merle, Black Veil, is like she's got one of our t shirts on and Davros is like, Oh yeah, yeah, he's like, right, kill her. Right, <laughs> killer. So there yeah, that's we go. Right. <clears throat> it turns out the um this isn't uh, a leisure wear operation. They're actually important drugs and these t shirts have got heroin in them. And she's got on a T-shirt that's full of heroin. She's been given that for free. She doesn't know.
2: The washing machine must be off its tits.
1: I know. (laughs) We're only 15 minutes into this programme. Our lead lady's got on a T-shirt full of smack and she's been chased by gangsters and her undercover partner with an assault rifle. You don't get this on Bergerac.
2: You really don't. Make peace. Radio's a boss. Right, here's the crack. Here's what's happening. What do I do? Go home. Her boss says, go home. The the, the what now? Go home. But he's in pursuit. Go home. So she fucking does. Blackout, be honest. Would you go fucking home? I will go to my home. Right, right. Do do, do, do you know where I would go? I'd go to the police station.
1: Yeah, either a heavily fortified building or just keep driving until I run out of petrol. Something like that. You know, just get out of London, mate. I mean, Merle sounds like she knows her way around. But Davros, he doesn't know the the fucking layout of the town the minute you're like out past the M25 he's not going to know where you are it's fine
2: Davros can't find uh, the local village hall in Scarrow He's hasn't got a (laughs) chance for inner London (laughs) so Dempsey in his in his undercover role has been assigned to get rid of Makepeace to kill her that's
1: right yes because he's like it's all right. it's it's, it's all right, Blackvale lady I will take care of this because obviously he knows who she is Merle is just like kill that knacker
2: he really is but he's quick thinking and mm-hmm. clearly, off-camera, they formulated a plan. That's fine. Right, right. And then, uh, yeah, there's a fake assassination attempt. There is, yeah.
1: You watch this, and he's like, he shot her. Yeah. And, yeah, boom, dead.
2: She drops, like, a sack of shit on the steps.
1: So, yeah, he he goes to get the shirt back. The baddie, mull has already said that there's half an ounce of heroin embedded in the shirt. Now, again, I'm not sure how they've done this. It's not explained. Let's assume yeah. that the gear stays in and doesn't just leave a trail everywhere, like narcotic dandruff, right? And right. also that it hasn't, for some reason, been picked up by sniffer dogs for smelling exactly like a load of H embedded into a sixty forty 40 cotton mix. Right. But <laughs> half an ounce is just over 14 grams. Uh-huh. At that time, that's about the weight of half a bag of Monster Munch. Um, yeah. According to the United Nations website, I've looked this up, the street price of heroin was about $2,200 a gram in 1985. That's roughly 31 grams worth in a T-shirt. Convert that into sterling at the time, that's about 40k. In 1985, that's a lot of money. You can understand why they would not want to see that driving away from the warehouse in the XR3i. That's fine. Yep. But later on in the programme, Mill says that there's $1,500 in that shirt, not $31,000. That's mm. around 96% short of what heroin was going for then. So, I'm going to have to assume that Merle is talking about the cost price to her and not the final retail. But even so, that makes this gear work out at about $107 a gram rather than $2,200. They've either got some fantastic buying power or a lorry's worth of fucking bacon powder.
2: Or the writers didn't want to... Expose the fact that they knew too much about the going rate in case they got a knock-on-the-door LWT.
1: I think the writers were too lazy to look it up.
2: So, to all intents and purposes, a charade has to be created to let the region know that Makepeace has been killed. And this involves, of course, Spikings going to visit her father, yep. Lord Winfield.
1: Yep, who is absolutely insane.
2: Him and his butler deserve a spin-off now. Yes, so Dempsey's back at the the bad guy's gaff. They're about to put the last stage of the plan into action. Make peace makes a very easy work of getting into the bad guy's hideout, mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's no fucking around here. Dempsey just comes straight out with, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I am actually a police officer. The game is up. Yeah. M- Merle reaches for another fucking hat pin. And then um, then Dempsey lamps her. No, wait. Him. Dempsey lamps him. Him. This, this is the reveal. The wig gets knocked askance it's revealed that Merle has been a skinny man and a dress and a face veil all along.
2: After the most passive hat pin attack ever seen on primetime drama... The
1: only clue that the audience have had to to this so far has been yep. every single time we've seen the bottom half of William Boyd's face in the episode.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and the and the clearly dubbed vocal.
1: I, I, I didn't mind the ADR, that was fine, but I, I had assumed, because well, nothing had been said that this is just a crossover episode with RuPaul's Drag Race.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Dick Emery vibes all over this.
1: Yes. That's not the end of the episode. We've got time for the actual actual showdown, why this has been happening. Mind, the incidental music, when they're on the way to the drug exchange, Yes, that that plays every day when I'm on my way to work. Right. I I don't mean it plays in my head. I mean on the boombox that I'm carrying. The other commuter's haters, I don't care. All I need to make that complete... Is a pair of Dempsey slate grey action slacks.
2: Do you think you'd go with uh, Spikins' fawn anorak to go with it, or
1: not together? I could wear either look, but not together. No. Sure. So, at the end of all of this, how many hat pins would you put on the line?
2: This is standard 80s buddy cop fare with a few splashes of colour, in the form of humour, but not enough to break up the grey mundanity of the colour grading and the narrative. It's not very imaginative, really. There's not enough here to keep me watching next week. Six out of nine, which I think is generous.
1: You know what? I'm going to get a reputation for this series. Right. <clears throat> here, we, here we go. <laughs> There's chases, explosions and point-blank gunfire for the kids, right? There's Michael mm. Brandon for the mums, Glynis Barber for the dads and the dead grey skies of London to strike a chord of familiarity with anyone who's lived there. Dempsey and Makepeace has got the fucking lot. Nine hatpins. Are you wearing
2: her t-shirt?
1: <laughs> Wish I was. There we go. Boom. More importantly than that, though, mm-hmm. how many steps would it take you to sidle round to Piccadilly Circus and get some information?
2: Oh, I think I could probably do it in two. Musical informant Jimmy Lahorn is brought to life by veteran actor Bill Gavin, who also appeared in Terry Gilliam's Jabberwocky, next to John Lambujour, who starred, as we well know, in sitcom George and the Dragon with
3: Madam I want it, ladies, and I am going to get it.
2: That was nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. And your good self? Well.
1: Dempsey and Makepeace are presided over by Detective Superintendent Spikings, brought to the screen by the redoubtable Ray Smith, who was so committed to justice, he also turned up for 1987's The Trial of Klaus Barbie, along with Peggy Mound.
3: And get there just in time to see the lady who was in the front of the queue slip into the meat.
2: Go on! Go on! That's good. That is good. (laughs) But we cannot stop. We cannot stop. Four tears, of course. Competition time. It's the second question for this week. So remember to jot this down on a whiteboard or shit rag or download the official Peggy Mount Calamity Hour answer sheet from www.peggymountpod.com. Your question is... When Makepeace is sat in her flat... What time is it on the clock when Spikings goes to the toilet? (coughs) And that's it. That's your competition questions. Marvellous. It's in there. It's a legitimate question. It's in there. Yep. (laughs) Yep, it certainly is. Right, I'm off to create a new obstacle for my evil Knievel action figure to tackle. And this will involve fire, nettles and dog shit. While I prep that, blackout's got your socials.
1: Yes, thanks once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com or we are peggymountpod on Twitter, Facebook and on Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManpod.com to check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes.
2: It's as simple as that. It really, really is. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, keep pegging! pegging.